Clark Hellman of AsacredJourney.net. I'm a spiritual director, facilitator, and guide, and you're listening to Pilgrim Podcast, a show exploring spirituality and intention in travels and daily life and what it means to live like a pilgrim at home and abroad. This episode is brought to you by Journey Shop, where I sell handmade and designed resources to inspire your journeys at home and abroad. The Journey Shop is filled with tools for spiritual practice, including my popular liturgical wall calendar, wearable prayer beads, and more. For the next few weeks, you'll also be able to purchase a creation-themed, limited-edition set of prayer beads inspired by my upcoming creation pilgrimage. Visit the Journey Shop at sacredjourney.net to claim yours before they sell out. So welcome back to Pilgrim Podcast. Today's episode is a special one to me, and it's close to my heart and my journey in this particular season. We are talking about infertility, or as others like to call it, the fertility journey. And it's a journey that my husband and I have been on for nearly three years. We've talked about it before on um, the Sacred Ordinary Days podcast that I recorded with Jen Giles Kemper a couple of years back, if you've listened to that. And I've also shared about it on my blog, on in my newsletter, and I'm sure probably here and there on social media as well. But for those of you who are new to me and my work, I just wanted to give you a little recap so you know where I'm at and why these conversations mean so much to me. So my story starts nearly three years ago when my husband and I started trying to get pregnant, and we were surprised to actually get pregnant after the second month of trying. My own mother tried for years to get pregnant with me. I was the first child, and so I kind of was expecting that that same situation. And so it, it seemed, you know, alarming, uh, exciting, and almost too, too good to be true, um, which in the end it turned out to be. Because just after six weeks, at six weeks of the pregnancy, so two weeks after we found out, uh, I had an early miscarriage, and we've been trying to get pregnant ever since. Uh, we we both are big believers in naturopathic approaches and functional medicine, and thankfully here in the Pacific Northwest where we are, uh, it's a shared value as well. And so there are so many resources these past few years that we've been able to use to try to heal our bodies, try to figure out what imbalances are going on. Um, For us, that meant changing our diets, changing our lifestyles, supplementation. It feels like a tour of the world of um, approaches and practices uh, from acupuncture, Mayan, abdominal massage, uh, even kind of when we went to Bali, looked into some of their approaches too. So it's it's been you know an enlightening journey, one that has caused us to learn more about our bodies and uh, learn more about medicine too, and how people have approached these issues from from the ages. But now we're we're to a point where we are setting those practices aside or letting them at least be the foundation of, of our health, our approach, and uh, moving on to uh, more intensive treatments. We've been working with a, a fertility clinic in the area. And so I wanted to have a conversation with our first guest who um, also went through fertility treatment. 
and share that with you as well. And our, our second guest is also a friend of mine, someone who has been on this journey with me for the past year or so and also has a journey of her own. And I also want to highlight, too, that it's not just a journey that's physical or emotional either, and I think both of these guests will point that out, too. It's a, it's a spiritual journey as well. My thoughts on spirituality and prayer have been turned upside down, and my false notions of God have certainly come to the surface. Um, and at this place of uncertainty with what will come and what will happen next, one thing I feel certain of is that this longing within is sacred, as are so many longings that uh, bring us closer to ourselves and bring us closer to to God. And, you know, what I found out is that God does not work in those transactional ways that um, surface-level faith might have us believe or, you know, the God of our childhood, the Santa, Santa Claus type God um, represents. But instead, God's there with us in that place of longing. And this is something something I've believed for a long time, but maybe more in my head. Uh, this journey has helped me believe it fully in my heart. And knowing that God's in that longing and that God is there in those highs and in those lows, no matter each step that the journey brings, um, has deepened my faith in unexpected ways too and has... Um, shifted it and in many ways made it new, um, more multifaceted. So if you're on this journey, um, I'm also doing this episode for you because I want to be there with you too. From the very moment that I um, had my miscarriage a while back, I, I had read blogs previously, blog posts and stories of, of people who had shared their their journey. And I had read it before and hadn't thought much of it, but it was a lifeline for me in that moment. And that's why this is an extended episode. It's two interviews because I wanted to tell two different stories because even though it's a similar journey, um, the paths we take are not the same, just like our bodies and just like our desires. And also, I didn't want to limit people's stories as well. And so uh, it's an extended version, but I feel like everything is, is so important and I didn't want to leave out anything in case it's exactly what you need to hear. And I also want this to be for those of you who aren't struggling uh, because, well, one, you probably have been on a journey similar to this in another fashion. And so I hope that this can highlight um, some things for you and and show you what it's like to um, remain faithful to to a longing each step of the way and and also you probably know someone who struggles with fertility as well um, often it's it's silent it goes unnoticed and maybe even like me for example um, you share with people you have the miscarriage and uh, people want to be there for you then um, but it's easy for to forget that you know, a year, two years later, the impact is still the same, especially um, 
if you're still in that in-between place. And so um, I want to invite you to listen in, to um, hear these experiences, and to affirm you uh, in being companions for others who are on, on these journeys. So let's begin the journey today. First today, I am talking to Brianna Chud, and she is a recent author, which we'll talk about her book as well. She's a wife, a mother of two rambunctious twins um, that certainly play into her fertility story and lives here locally in the Pacific Northwest. We were just talking about how she lives across the lake from me, so we've yet to meet, but I'm sure we will meet in person soon. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real privilege and honor. Yeah, well, let's start with uh, you sharing a bit about your spiritual journey. I always like to start that way with my guests so we can kind of know who you are at your core and, of course, how that plays into your fertility journey as well. Well, I think my spiritual journey probably would just begin as a young girl. I grew up um, probably like a lot of um, Christians <laughs> in the church, uh, especially evangelicals. Um, my grandpa was the founding pastor of the church I grew up in. I just remember running up and down the hallways, up and down the pews. Um, that was like my early childhood experience. And it was warm. It was safe. It was fun. Um, and as I grew older, I think I started to question things more, but yet kept a very simple faith intact. Mm. And um, as I started traveling more and explored more, I started to deconstruct my faith, especially through the journey of infertility. I started asking some deeper questions. And where I find myself now is um, my faith feels more real, probably, Mm -hmm. and solid Mm -hmm. and tangible than ever before. Uh, It also feels probably more accepting than it was in Mm. the past of not only myself, but others and much more full of grace, which I think is a good landing spot. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. And I can see, I just, uh, I've finished your book, the heart once with the heart once, and I can see how that fertility journey played such a role in that, at that journey of acceptance as well, because gosh, uh, if it's a journey of anything, it is one of acceptance and not necessarily like that this is my fate. And so that means I can't have children, but instead like this is where I am and um, let's go from there rather than that push back that resistance that no, I don't want this. I don't want to have to face this, which is true too. Well, yeah, I'm diving in already for you, but good. I love it. <laughs> so let's, let's have you tell the story of, of your fertility journey. So um, I wasn't like maybe most little girls, I didn't always imagine myself holding babies. I didn't Mm. imagine myself growing up to be a mom. I just expected it to be part of my story. Um, It wasn't something I dreamt of, in other words. And um, as we kind of got older, I just expected it to happen. I got married. My happily ever after was going to be having a family. Yeah, step one, step two, step three. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It was just the natural progression of things. I had seen it for my family, for my brothers and their wives and um, a lot of people around me. So, of course, it was just natural to think that that would be our situation. Um, And we started trying when I was about 26. I remember very clearly on my 26th birthday thinking, I don't want to like end this year, this next year without being pregnant. So that was where we began. And 
as time went on, things just didn't seem to be happening. Started getting a little bit more concerned. Um, our original appointment was with a doctor in Belfast because at the time we were living overseas in Northern Ireland. And that doctor was very clear early on just to say that we would never have a family outside of IVF. Mm. And I'm really stubborn. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that. I didn't like her approach. I thought her bedside manner was pretty poor. Yeah. So um, in my stubbornness, I said, I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove you wrong. Well, yeah. So. <laughs> I'm kind of with you on that. We've mm-hmm. done the tour of uh, naturopathic remedies. I, I, as I was reading your book and you were talking about all the supplements and this oh, yeah. and that, I was just nodding my head. <laughs> yeah. Check, check, yeah. check. I mean, <laughs> Like the light side was watching my husband try to gag down pills because he has a really bad gag reflex. So uh-huh. when he had to take multiple supplements, it was more entertaining for me than anything. I uh-huh. just chuck it back. I yeah, a professional now. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we tried natural remedies. We tried um, ovulation kits. We tried reflexology. We um, tried healthy eating. We removed all sugar, caffeine, alcohol from our diet. Um just all these different options, just hoping in some way to heal mm. our bodies. Hoping that and this would be it. Yeah. Whatever yeah, that think, next thing was, that was the missing piece. For a magic pill. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think when you start this journey, you're, you're, you're waiting for that lightning bolt. You're waiting for that magic bullet to just mm-hmm. be available. And once you do that one thing, I remember trying this one pill that somebody was like, so many people have gotten pregnant after they've taken this supplement. So yeah. again, your hope rises mm-hmm. and then ashes around as mm-hmm. soon as it doesn't work. So um, eventually we decided to go back to our doctor and get, well, we did also try Clomid. Uh, my stubbornness bullied um a doctor into allowing me to take Clomid uh-huh. again. Another better. one of those magic pills, right? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I was like, well, maybe if I ovulate, because I have PCOS, so uh-huh. I was ovulating. So maybe if I ovulate, that's that key. Be- <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and you learn so much about your body in this oh, process, right? Like even the PCOS diagnosis. Did you know about that before? Which no. you can tell people what that is, I guess, as well, because yeah. you don't know about yeah. it unless you really come across no, it. No, unless why would you? I mean, uh-huh. we sometimes find our education comes upon our need. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but polycystic ovarian syndrome, and I didn't fit the general bill, didn't have excessive weight gain, I didn't have excessive facial hair, thankfully, mm-hmm. or um, outbursts of acne, but I did have cysts on the outside uh, of the inside of my ovaries, but mm-hmm. lining the mm-hmm. outside of the ovaries. So mm-hmm. um, not allowing my eggs to drop when the time mm-hmm. was coming. So I wasn't ovulating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why I was taking the Clomid and it did not serve my body well. I should have listened to my doctor at that mm-hmm. point. But eventually we did um, go back to a doctor and got put back on the waiting list for the National Health Service in um, Belfast to be treated. Because you were, yeah, in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland, which that, well, yeah. first off, it's an interesting part of your story because of yeah. my love for travel and for the UK. So that was so fun to discover whenever I started following you on Instagram, but also really big, I'm sure, allowed you to pursue this at that time because it is covered by the health insurance. Yeah, I cannot say enough positive things about the National Health Service. It is broken, yes. Um, There are parts of it that are not great, but that's pretty much every medical (laughs) setup. Um, I don't think America's is perfect either. So Mm -hmm. um, we were just very thankful that the desire to have children was considered a right that we were qualified and that we were covered. Especially all all the conversations that about women's reproductive rights that I want to be open to and support. And at the yeah. same time, I I never would have considered what about my right to reproduce? Yes. yes. 
Um, yes. That feels like such an absent part of the conversation here in the U.S. Yeah. And I think, again, it's it's conversations that need to be happening more. Mm-hmm. And I think more women need to be more open about the pain that this causes, the trauma mm-hmm. that this causes, mm-hmm. the death that this causes. And it's not a straightforward answer. It never is. But the conversations need to start happening because yeah. we have to find a better way. Mm-hmm. We have to find a better way. Yeah. Introducing children into the world after a long journey of IVF with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt is also not a peaceable um, entrance into the world for a child. Oh, no. So, um, yeah, mm. the conversations just need to happen. Mm-hmm. But we ended up uh, doing our first round of IVF. Well, it ended up being ICSI, intracytopathy plasmic sperm injection, <laughs> just to get a little scientific uh-huh. one. That's a mouthful, um, where they actually take the sperm and inject it into the egg, and then they keep it in a holding facility to allow the fertilization to happen. Normal um, IVF is where they allow the sperm and the egg to be together, and they usually will connect and do the job naturally mm-hmm. um, once they bring them together. But this was actually taking that next step further and taking that sperm and introducing it to the egg. basically. Um, So we did that the first round in January of 2010 in Belfast, and um, it did not work. They transferred two embryos that did not take, and that was a devastating blow after the two-week wait. Um, And we just, yeah, I mean, I don't even know really how to say it other than it just our world collapsed. Well, and so much goes, I'm, you know, we're preparing to possibly go down this road soon for us as well. And so again, like you don't know about unless you really, you are there. And so reading about like all of the shots, right, that you've had to give yourself. So not only like giving yourself shots, but what that does to your body. Yeah. Uh, Like, so not only is it that disappointment after the two week wait, um, which is also infertility lingo, right? Or if Mm -hmm. if there's even like abbreviations for for everything too, codes. Yeah, but um, totally. (laughs) But all that your body has been through, yeah, emotional, physical, uh, financial and spiritual for sure. Well, and I think too, a lot of people when they're in when they've made the decision to go down the route of IVF, a lot mm-hmm. of people actually haven't told anyone. Mm, yeah. So nobody's uh, even aware uh-huh. that they're living in this like tumultuous um, whirlpool of emotions oh, and gosh, that they're yeah. sitting on a knife's edge waiting for this dream, mm. waiting for this um, hope to become realized. And when it doesn't happen, there's no niceties left. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you are crushed. You don't want to see the world. You don't want to be on Facebook. You don't want to have lunch with your best friend. You don't want to see your mother. You don't want to talk to anybody at the grocery store. You yeah. just want to hide. You want to crawl in your bed and never come out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I know that the more I've looked into it, there is such a correlation to depression amongst women who are going through IVF. Yeah. And I think it is largely due to the emotional toll and um almost this feeling of hiding what you're going through, hiding your struggle, which again, Mm -hmm. the conversations need to happen so that people can be better supported through this. So that jobs have more compassion to say, you know what, you need to take the day off. You need a mental leave day Mm -hmm. or physical leave day or an emotional, spiritual leave day, whatever they want to call it. Um, Just to give people space. Mm -hmm. So that was our experience after the first failed round. And then we knew we had three embryos left. Um, so we decided to go back for round two 
round two felt much different. It felt easier. The procedures, as I describe in the book, um, mm-hmm. were... <laughs> Again, I will not blame the NHS because it was free treatment, but in hindsight, I should have asked for more. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have been my own advocate and used my voice, uh, but I didn't realize that there were certain things that I could have availed of that I didn't, yeah. um, like anesthesia and medicine and drugs that would have helped make the procedures easier. Mm-hmm. Less traumatic yeah, as yeah. well. <laughs> yes, exactly. As you will read in the book. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so the second round felt much less traumatic. They did a mapping of my womb. So the transfer was much easier. Mm-hmm. And there was just, there was a lot of hope um, within ourselves, within our community. The fact that two embryos had survived the freezing process felt very promising. Um, and then again, you know, to have a negative outcome, to have my period start, it mm. just felt like such a blow again. And I just threw in the towel and I said, I'm done. I'm done. I remember sitting up on the north coast of Ireland and um, sitting on a rock and just sobbing as I listened to a specific specific song that my brother-in-law had written for us regarding this journey that we had been on. And I just cried out to God. I was so frustrated. I was so alone. I was so hurt. Mm. Um, I learned to make great Irish coffees during this time. Mm. Um, And I ate a lot of licorice all sorts. (laughs) Read a lot of books, watched a lot of movies, anything to distract myself, because as soon as the distraction was gone, the emotions just rose to the surface and I couldn't stop crying. Well, and did you uh, did you have your period before you got the call that um, time? It was they asked us to do the pregnancy test at home. Mm -hmm. And I think I don't I didn't include this in the book because there's a lot of parts I think after you write a book, you realize you could probably write the story 10 different ways after Mm, you finished it. Mm -hmm. So um, the second round of transfer, the morning that we were to take the test, I had a dream that I had taken the test and it was positive and that we were pregnant. So I woke up with this sense of God speaking to me in a dream that it was a holy moment that we were pregnant. So I walked because you want to hold on to whatever. Oh, glimpse of hope you can. Yeah, any um, any thread you can grasp, you will hold on to it with all of your body weight. Um, So I I walked into the bathroom, took the test, and when I saw the result, it just I couldn't believe it. Mm. I just couldn't believe it. Um, It just seemed so surreal. And almost yeah. like that was the dream. Yeah. Instead, because you had moved your your mind, your body, your heart into that position of that positive. Yeah. And through, you know, through the first round, the trauma of going into hyperstimulation as well. Oh, gosh. Was no cakewalk. Um, <laughs> just, I mean, it's all those things that people don't know your body can yeah. do when, yeah. like you said, when you're injecting it, when you're pushing it past its natural because it's supposed to like the hyperstimulation normally your body would release one egg mm-hmm. per cycle and this is yeah i mean as many as you can get like in the teens often yeah well and i think because of the pcos they say or the doctors there at that time had said a lot of women with pcos their hyperstimulation is even more because their body is not used to ovulating mm-hmm. so it's going into like an amped up hyperdrive almost yeah. of ovulation. Oh, so it's like, you haven't done this. And now all of a sudden your body's like speeding forward <laughs> at yeah. a brick wall going, okay, we got to get it. We got to get it. And then 
you have all these eggs and your your womb just can't take it. Yeah. It just and that was a cruel joke because I looked about five months pregnant during the hyperstimulation. So, uh, oh my gosh, yeah. Well, and and the way that you were describing to that dream and that glimpse of hope that came, especially I think because the dream world, kind of that in between sleeping and waking, is such a vulnerable place oh you know so in yeah. in your dream you allowed yourself to fully mm-hmm. embody that it makes me think a lot about i've used the word faith a lot to describe um this journey so far which is coming on three years and it's it's not as much faith like we talk about in the spiritual sense faith in god though that certainly you know has accompanied me on my journey but it's yeah. that faith I mean, all, why? Because why else would you go through all those supplements and all yeah. those shots and all those blood draws? And I mean, I never would have known what venipuncture means until now yeah. that I see it on all of my <laughs> my bills and how much it costs, which is usually fifteen dollars, which yeah. is just the the piercing to get get your blood. But uh, yeah, I've learned more about faithfulness in that showing up and staying with that deep, deep desire and and deep yearning. And I almost, I hear people talk about, doctors like to say, you know, women just have this biological drive, but like (laughs) I get annoyed when they say that because it feels like so much more than this biological drive. To me, it felt like it, I mean, I invited God into the conversation mm-hmm. most of the time. There were times when I said I wasn't talking to him, but I still was. Yeah. Um, well, just know. in the fact that you were saying that you're not, yeah. you know, that yeah. and very much a part I of just, it. I remember begging him at times, please just take the desire away or please just let me hear no, oh that this gosh, is yeah. not mm-hmm. going to happen. Mm. But it's this, um, it's an unexplainable, unmovable, unwavering faith and hope that your circumstances are going to change and that they could change at any given moment. So you do, you live in this, maybe around the next corner, maybe yeah, around the always next on end. the cusp, but never, which that is right part there. of the journey that steals your ability to live in the present mm-hmm. because you're always looking to the next thing and you're missing what's happening right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I think you miss your spouse, you miss your family, you miss, that's one of the things that I, you know, had realized that one of the greatest struggles was just within all my relationships. Yeah. I couldn't appreciate my body for what it could do because all I could mm-hmm. focus on was mm-hmm. what it couldn't do and what it wasn't doing. And I couldn't appreciate my husband because, you know, he wasn't understanding the full journey in my mind of what my body was going through. Or I just, you know, we, we had different ways of coping with the grief. We had different ways of coping with the stress. Yeah. Instead of having those conversations, sometimes we turned and we focused on other things. You know, thankfully they were healthy things, but um, it just, and my family relationships, you know, it all just struggled. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. And even, I mean, I don't know if at that point you knew your time in Northern Ireland was limited or if you thought it you might be there forever, no. but like even missing out on that season, what yeah. surrounds you. And, and like, it's it's hard balance because it's, makes sense too because you needed those times away you needed those times lost in books and and film it's it's interesting too because I think um we are very much at home in the UK especially in Northern Ireland that's where we spent 
pretty much the guts of 12 years. And Mm -hmm. that feels very much like home to us. Um, So to be back in America feels more like the foreign country Mm -hmm. in a way because we grew up. Yeah. I feel like as Mm -hmm. adults, our Mm -hmm. views on life were shaped there. Yeah. Um, And just the culture, the way of life, um, the quality of life, it just felt more Mm -hmm. true to who we were. Yeah. And it was funny. I was listening to one of your other podcasts with, um, I think it was the lady who does the Abbey of the Arts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Uh you know, she kind of said a similar thing that the culture, the you know, that she just felt more at home yeah. and more herself there. And I, I think my husband and I feel the same. Yeah. So there was this sense that we were, we were home. We were so home in this place and the people who we were surrounded by, we had an incredible group of um, people with the church that we were um, working and volunteering with. And those people watching them wrestle with your struggle. Hmm. I had so many people say that this was their biggest crisis of faith was watching us pray to a good God and not get a good answer. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's an easy thing. Well, I mean, the gift of opening up is that you have yeah. others journeying with you. And also, um, then it, I think even for myself, it becomes easy to forget how others are impacted by it too. Not, not that that's something to take for me to take on because that's not at all it. No. But also, um, I, I think I've, I've struggled like with, uh, with the depths I have gone to and how much I've invested so far um, with whenever hopefully I do become pregnant that some people might say, oh, you know, answered prayer and just move on, yeah. not recognizing the rest of the journey. But I had this realization because there are people that come to me and say that they're praying for me and realizing that, wait, you know, they've been saying this for years. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, there's got to be an ache there for yeah. them too. And I think it's a beautiful part of the body of Christ when people do share mm-hmm. that they are praying for you, because mm-hmm. um, I feel like it's God's small ways of saying, I see you. Mm-hmm. I see you. Yeah. Um, and that for a long time felt like such an injury, because if I, if he saw me Hmm. If he really saw me, why was he doing nothing? Mm-hmm. You know, and those were the questions that did cause me to struggle with my faith. And it caused yeah. me to doubt, my, if you will. Yeah. And it caused me to start addressing some of the faulty belief systems I mm-hmm. had in mm-hmm. the God that I served, the God that I believed in and in my own faith and who I thought I was and yeah. how my faith was wrapped up in that. And man, it just was a whole different journey that I wasn't expecting. but. I, I wouldn't wish this upon my worst enemy, mm. but the lessons I've learned through it, I also wouldn't change. Yeah. You say that even at the beginning of the book, that the process is like a refining fire and you yep. come out your truest self. I think pain is pain. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of people who have been reading the book have said that they're in a different place position in their life, that their struggle is different, hmm. but that a lot of what I write about is universal yeah. in the sense that um, we have a choice to make how we mm-hmm. view our lives. We have mm-hmm. a choice to make how we view our circumstances. And that does not mean that that makes our pain less real, mm-hmm. but it puts the power back in our own hands of saying, I choose how I interpret this. I yeah. choose what I'm going to do with this. Mm-hmm. I choose how I'm going to approach that relationship. I choose if I'm going to keep this or if I'm going to let it go. Yeah. So 
Yeah. yeah. Which seems to tie tie in with that acceptance piece mm-hmm. as well. I've been doing, um, since January, I have this mindfulness app. It's called Calm, but it has meditations. But I thought about downloading it many times. Oh, it's so, it's so good. <laughs> I'm loving it. Um, but that's just been a big aha for me too, especially um, in this. I, I feel like maybe in the past six months, I've just moved past a corner. I can't, you know, it's not a corner that says I'm closer because I don't, don't know. know. Maybe it's the acceptance yeah. of not knowing. And, and from still, a nine-year journey, I can't say, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're that much closer because I don't know. Yeah. Um, but there's just something there about realizing, okay, this, this is, this is it. This is where I am. And I can choose to, um, you know, push it down and just move forward as if I'm just popping supplements left and right. And mm-hmm. almost that, that forest outcome, which just always ends up, you know, coming up short because the outcome I'm longing for is yet to come, or I can choose to be here where I am. And that includes that all those elements of self-care, both yeah. um, ones that are have a bit more depth, like spiritual practices or mm-hmm. um, journaling, reflection, um, spending time with loved ones, and also the ones that might involve eating candy or, yeah. you know, yeah, at the same time, too. But and even with my own work in the world, that um, the present is what I have. And yeah, how will I be there fully, even for this journey, I think, as, as that metaphor of pilgrimage? Yeah. If I, you know, it's been long enough to accept that this is a journey and I'm in the middle of it and I don't know how long it will be, um, well, and I, I can either was, be present or not. Yeah. And I think it was important for me because this area of life felt like it had the pause button had been pushed. Mm-hmm. It was really important for me to have other areas where I felt like um, the play button yeah. had been pushed. Yeah that I was still active, that I was still a part of the world, that I was still a part mm. of so many other categories of life, mm-hmm. even if I wasn't a mom. Yeah. Um, and that those other categories had a richness, a fullness that they could offer me something as well. And I talk about that in the book that, you know, when I would hear my friend say, oh, I had another sleepless night, I would focus on the fact that I had had a great night's sleep. Oh, I'm telling you, the other night my dog was up <laughs> a few times and I had this moment of realization when I was like, Oh my gosh. Cause like I, I knew I, like I felt awful. I was so tired. I was like, this is what I want, I guess. <laughs> like this is, well, and I was and grateful I want, for that moment yeah, that I didn't totally. have a baby. Well, and I want to say that to some people too, just that, um, if, and when your fertility journey ends or your infertility journey ends, um, and your life as a parent begins, what you have done with, the experience of infertility largely will affect how you parent. Mm, Oh yeah. And who you have become even independent of that. Like those were years that were shaping you. They completely shaped me. And I, and again, just because I went through infertility doesn't mean I have angel children that have solved all of my life's problems and that I (laughs) don't struggle with the same struggles Mm -hmm. a person who didn't go through infertility struggles with. Um, I still have permission to be frustrated with my children. I still have permission to um, feel suffocated by them or to have a day where I shout more than I intend to. That doesn't, I'm just human. Yeah. And the experience of parenting and motherhood is part of that human experience. So um, 
there's just so many parts of it that you have to have grace for yourself. You have to have grace mm-hmm. for other people. And grace is, I, it's one of those words. It's kind of like hope people throw them around. Like they're just these frilly words that yeah. are so what easy. Really they're mean? so light. Uh-huh. And I'm like, um, <laughs> grace and hope are gritty. They are dirty. Mm-hmm. They are tough as nails made of steel. You are holding on. Yeah. By they your, require by much your, of you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I like to turn them into those words because I'm like, that's mm-hmm. actually what they've been in my life. Mm-hmm. And they've required that choice and choosing that. So, yeah. Well, looking back, where you've mentioned, you know, a bit about your experience of God and your wrestling through that time. Looking back, where, where do you think God was in all of this? And how, how did you end up experiencing God differently than you might have expected going? I think I thought I knew it all. Hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Is the honest answer. I think I thought my faith was solid. I think I thought I knew who God was. Um, and come to find out, I kind of thought God was like Santa Claus mm-hmm. and kind of like a genie in a bottle. Mm-hmm. And very my, transactional. Yes, very way. transactional. Mm-hmm. Very much, this is my wish. You give me my desire if I'm good. Mm-hmm. If I do everything right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I, um, you know, God, I, my husband and I chose to become missionaries. How much holier can you get? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and I think realizing at the end of the day that he was asking not, um, he just wanted me. He didn't want my sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And all of these things that I thought I had sacrificed for him, what he was after was just me. Mm. Um and that he was absolutely 100% delighted with who I was as a person and that my journey through infertility and not being able to have children was in no way a reflection of his um, displeasure with me, that he was not angry with me, that he was not mad at me, that he was not withholding something from me. Mm. Um, I think that just was the surprising part. And so often he was silent. But as I refer to um, the book, God on Mute by Pete Gregg, in my book, there's a poem where it talks about engaging the silence of unanswered prayer. Mm. And it just flipped everything on its head for me because I went from thinking that silence was absence. And it wasn't. Mm. He was still very present. Mm -hmm. But we were learning to go to a deeper place in our relationship with each other, God and me, where we could just sit and be together. and in the end, in our final round of treatment, I have some of the sweetest memories of sitting in a downstairs bedroom at my mother-in-law's house where we started. And it's a room, fire hazard room, totally. There's no windows. (laughs) (laughs) If you tried to sell the house, you couldn't call it a room because Uh there's no no access point out. But I remember sitting um, and just feeling that little room completely fill up Mm. was something other that Mm. and I wasn't saying anything I wasn't praying it was just this sense that God was there yeah and um and that I was going to be okay yeah Mm. and it wasn't a promise it was I at that point I didn't feel him saying and now I'm going to grant you your wish Mm. you know Mm. the promise was himself yeah and that's what he had given me and that's what I had found well and I, I think of too how many times maybe with your your husband, Brian, or with your close friends or your family, when you are at that edge, at that 
you're, you know, your wit's end. But you just, in the grief, sit in silence. Yeah. And sometimes that is enough. And so that seems to reflect even your experience with God as well, that sometimes yeah. the silence is nearer mm-hmm. than we even know. Well, and that's one of the things I think that um, the church needs to learn to do better mm-hmm. is you don't need to give somebody the most perfect prayer. You don't need to um, have a word from God. You don't need to give them a verse. You don't need to um, you don't need to fix them. You don't need to solve their problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that's between them and God, and that's between them and their own journey. But what we are required to do is to be present in their pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that verse in the Bible, rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn, yeah. is equally hard on both sides mm-hmm. of the coin. Mm-hmm. If you are rejoicing, it's really hard to just stop and sit with somebody in their pain. And if you are the person who is mourning, if you have just had a transfer that failed, or if you have just suffered a miscarriage, it's, you have to dig to a deeper place than you've ever dug mm-hmm. to be able to truly rejoice with somebody that has just announced a pregnancy. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just one of those things that the church, we have a lot of growth mm-hmm. to do with how we deal with pain in general. Yeah. Mm. Well, I know you've got to go soon because you've got to pick up your boys. So, so yeah. tell us how how this journey um, shifted for you. I won't say ended; I'll say shifted, um, and how your boys came to be in your life. Well, I think after the second round, I think I I think earlier I referred to um, just kind of the collapsing of our world again. Yeah. Um, when those embryos didn't take and we had none left. And um, I just said I was done. I threw in the towel. I Mm -hmm. just, I was beyond tired of, um, because what people don't tell you is that, or what you might not understand too, unless you're going through it, which you will understand is that when you start going through infertility or when you start trying to have a baby, it becomes a 24-7 job. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like literally. Uh You don't switch off from it, even when you're sleeping, like your dreams can come out, you know, and Uh you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it and it's exhausting. And I just wanted to stop thinking about it. So we put it on the back burner and we just said, you know what, we're just going to live life. And I think deep down, both of us hoped that somehow we would relax enough. (laughs) Well, that's always the the other bit of advice. Uh Relax. I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Because I can relax about this. Yeah, I'm going to try to not try now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm going to try to not try. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, But I think we both hoped that by just taking a step back that somehow um, something would change and that our bodies had been given enough time to heal themselves. And, uh, that didn't happen. So about three and a half years in, we were coming to a point where we had been in Northern Ireland for almost a decade and felt like we really wanted to honor our family and move back to the States for kind of a three to four month period, just to invest in those relationships. We had Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time apart, had, you know, missed a lot of birthdays, missed a lot of family events, a lot of family holidays. And we, we truly just love our families. We have incredible families on both sides and we are so fortunate. Um, an amazing godly heritage really on both sides. Mm -hmm. And, So we chose to move back to the States um, in the summer of 2013. And um, 
you know, a couple people before we had moved had said, so do you think you're maybe going to try him for, you know, treatment when you're in America? Cause maybe they would have a better um, approach or maybe they would have more specialized treatment forms and neither of us, it wasn't on our radar. Mm-hmm. We were like, no, no, I don't think so. That's not what we're going to do. Um, and pretty quickly within probably a month of us arriving back, I remember the date I had been spending some time in Idaho with my family and I'd flown up to Alaska where Brian already was with his family. And on his mom's deck on the 4th of October, we sat and had a conversation reflecting about our lives, where we were at, what things we still wanted to pursue that we hadn't seen happen. And the number one was a family. Mm. And I said, okay, I think we should try again. Mm -hmm. So we contacted the clinic in Idaho um, where we had had a, an appointment years before and they had said, you know, go try the National Health Service. If they offer free treatment, try that first. Mm. Don't needlessly, you know, put yourself into crazy amounts of debt if they will give it to you for free because it might work. Um, so we went back to the same clinic, um, got things moving forward. The timeline worked. We ended up staying, started treatment December 2013. Um, transfer took place in January. My husband had to have a procedure as well, um, his second testicular biopsy, which for any male listeners is not fun. <laughs> we'll let you look that up yourselves. <laughs> yes, you can, you can delve into that one yourself. Uh-huh. Um, but I always say my husband is more man than most men I know <laughs> after everything he's been through. So um, after going through the injections and egg retrieval, um, which was really special because before we were so alone and isolated from our families, we had mm-hmm. great friends around us in Northern Ireland that were like family, but to actually be present with family members this time felt really significant. Yeah. Um, and it felt uh, like a gift to being able to share this part of the journey with them, no matter the outcome. Um, Cause they had wanted to be there, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and so did the injections, the transfer, um, happened uh, and on the 25th of January 2014 we found out that the transfer had taken mm. and they had transferred two embryos that were really healthy really good quality um, and come Valentine's Day we found out that both embryos had taken yeah and we were pregnant with twins mm. which I yeah the moment we found out we were pregnant in general we were stepped outside of a coffee shop, put the phone on speakerphone. And I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. We, I, we weren't breathing, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we were mm-hmm. moving. We didn't want to do anything. Um, and to hear her words say that we were going to be a mommy and daddy. I write about it in the book, but yeah. it's just, it's one of those moments that you just will never forget. Mm. It felt like redemption. And what a great story to tell yeah. your boys, too. Not not just that moment, but all that led to it, too. Well, and they're at a long time where I'm starting to tell them they understand presence and they understand mm-hmm. gifts. They're three mm-hmm. and, and I tell them sometimes, they said, did you know that you were a gift, that you were a present to mommy and daddy? And that we had waited so, so long mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. And so one of my sons, Kedron, he is, um, started talking about how he's a present. <laughs> And I just love it because I'm like, yes, you uh-huh. are. You are. All children are gifts, you know, no matter mm-hmm. how they arrive, but they're all gifts. So, mm. which, you know, is just really fun to be able to tell that yeah. to them now. 
Oh, definitely. So, yeah, and then they were born um, the 1st of September 2014 uh, in a little hospital in Northern Ireland. And Mm. I was undone the first week of their birth, just staring at their fingers, staring at their faces, trying to figure out how to breastfeed twins when you'd never done it before. I mean, it's just... It was all the things that you, uh-huh. <laughs> you had always imagined one, right? And then here you were, yeah, yeah, no exactly. free arms. Yeah, but it, it felt like, um, it just felt like grace upon grace that the, abundance. it was a double portion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Complete abundance that like, that this good God that we serve said, you know, from lack to abundance. Mm. And yeah. And I, I think it's important to say too that if that treatment would not have worked, we would have become a family somehow. Yeah. Mm. We had done that wrestle. We had gone through that journey of saying, no matter what, God has called us to be parents and mm. we will foster, we will adopt, we will, we will have a family some way. Yeah. So we had to ask some really hard questions along the way too. Mm. That um, kind of sifted through our motives and what our true desire was, you know, whether... We would be happy to take a five-year-old child, whether we would only take an infant. What was our desire? To be a family or to have a baby or, you know, and you start having to define all those Mm -hmm. uh, answers and all those desires as you go. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, I think even, you know, listening, reading your story and listening to you here and uh, my other friends whose interview will follow this and the countless stories I've heard and read elsewhere and um, there's so much uh so many similarities and every every journey is distinct yeah and there seems to be a gift in that too a richness and that's, that's why i also included yeah um other stories in the book mm-hmm. um they're more abbreviated stories mm-hmm. but i said you know not everybody is going to be able to identify with our particular story but they might read one other person's story yeah. that something in it resonates um that they can identify with that part and it is there's there's similarities but every story is unique every story is different and every Mm -hmm. outcome is different like you know and and it's a personal choice it's a personal decision and um something that i think also is going to become a bigger topic and i can't wait to delve into this as we walk this out and i feel this is going to be partly another book (laughs) (laughs) um is the reality of the remaining embryos that we have. Yeah. So that's going to be another journey and that's going to be another wrestle. And that's going to be another, um, time of getting to know myself, getting to know Mm -hmm. where we're going, what we're doing, how it looks. Um, yeah. And it's something that I'm already struggling with and wrestling through. So it's one of those things you don't anticipate the the struggle continuing. No. Yeah. But it does. It just looks different. Yeah. The journey continues. And mm-hmm. if one thing's for certain, it's a journey. Oh, my word. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> with highs and lows, trials, challenges. Yeah. Um, synchronicities. Uh, that word I love. I looked up mm-hmm. your terms. and Oh, I, yeah. That has felt so true. Yeah. At so many points. Those like, moments yes. when something appears right when you need it and you least expect it. Yeah. And I've been labeling it the mystery of our Christian faith, that there are so many things we can't explain and, mm-hmm. and God is in the mystery. And that's what I've been leaning into a lot lately is the mystery and the mystical side of my faith. Mm. And 
been beautiful watching it unfold. Yeah, so it's surrender. And yeah. there I see acceptance. Yeah, too, for sure. Well, these final questions, um, if you've listened before, I, I like to ask everyone. Um, so on the theme of pilgrimage, if you were going on pilgrimage, where would you want to go next? Um, this is a twofold answer because yeah. someday, um, once my kids are grown and out of the house, I would love to do the Camino de Santiago. Mm -hmm. It was the first type of pilgrimage I had ever heard of. Yeah. And my husband and I have visited Spain a few times and we love it. And we love hiking and walking. And um, would you do it together? I, I, I think so. He's a really outdoorsy guy. I mean, he's Alaskan <laughs> for goodness sake. So uh -huh. that was my <laughs> husband has done it before. And, um, I'd like to do it myself. I think both maybe on my own and with him, but that was kind of the question when we talked about doing it ourselves is yeah. he's so much taller than me and has a longer stride. And so like how we would, yeah. I'll just meet you in the I, town later today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think uh -huh. there's that grace in your relationship yeah. to say, we'll do this at our own pace. We'll do yeah. it together, but uh -huh. apart. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. So I would really like to do that. Um, and the second is that I am actually going back to Northern Ireland in mm -hmm. May for a miniature book tour. I say miniature because we are only going to be there for five and a half days. And it's two of myself and two of my um, closest friends here from America yeah. are coming with me. Is it your first and time back since? Yes, leaving? since we left. Mm -hmm. um, so that's also insurance for my husband that I will indeed get back on the flight because uh -huh. I have a friend on each side <laughs> uh -huh. me pulling me back onto the plane. Yeah. Oh, a pilgrimage indeed. If that's your yeah. your home space, that heart place for you. And we're so this book occurred. So much of the struggle mm -hmm. happened. So much of the journey was walked in these places. And we are already talking about um, intentionally making it more of a pilgrimage. We have a day set aside for doing um, a walk along the north coast of Ireland, which yeah. is um, a very special, dear place to me. Yeah. And um, the Giant's Causeway and Mascendon Temple, um, places that we traveled to numerous times. Mm. Um, but to do it in this space and time feels like oh a real gift. Um, yeah. And, and we want, I want to intentionally go into it asking some questions. Yeah. So that's kind of, we're going to start the morning, um, together and we're going to end the evening together and we might do it with the examine, um, yeah. and possibly Lectio Divina as well, yeah. you know, two really simple practices, um, that have been incorporated into my life, um, in the last 10 years probably. So, yeah. Oh, well. I can't wait to, I'll be, I'll be with you in my imagination. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I feel and, guilty leaving my husband and the boys behind, but for this trip, it, it's what has to be. So yeah, that's, well, that's part of it too. The leaving, yeah. not just yep. going, but leaving. Yep, exactly. Um, what journey are you on right now in your daily life? I know you've just released this. My goodness. Yeah. Talk about, um, to a, a good friend of mine, she's Swedish, but she lives in Northern Ireland. And we first met on a, a mission trip to India um, where we were working with Dalit women more specifically. And um, she's just been one of those people that's encouraged me along the way. She's very contemplative, very reflective. And she had given me a spiritual um, disciplines handbook. I would have to look up the name of it, of who the author is. But two of the practices that I'm working on right now is the act of celebration, which has come in really handy with the book. Mm that I celebrated the first proof draft that I made, that I celebrated mm -hmm. with close friends and family, um, the fact that I had ordered the books and was going to do a launch. And then we actually did a launch. So I'm just, I'm celebrating all the little things yeah. as well as big. Um, and my boys are potty training right now. So we're doing a lot of celebrations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big timing for Easter candy. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, so just just that act of celebrating um, even the smallest of victories. I feel like the culture right now is so um, negative and people are very discouraged and we can choose to bring celebration into that. I think that's oftentimes what Jesus did too. He was great at throwing parties. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Well, it's, that's about being present. Yeah, exactly. Really? Yeah. 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 And it's about seeing the moment that you're in and capturing yeah. that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also practicing um, the art of detachment, mm-hmm. uh, which is another great one in combination with the book. Yeah. Um, so in all honesty, this was my first podcast ever and I was slightly freaking out. <laughs> I think it's gone well. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was that thing of yeah. this is actually not about the book. This is the book is not about the podcast and the yeah. book is to help. And yesterday I had the privilege of um, handing over the book to a woman who is on her own journey and mm. hearing the different stories of women um, continues to bring me back to that place of, you know, God, I, I did feel like I was supposed to share this journey. My husband and I had that conversation um, five years into our journey that whenever we had some type of resolve that we would be sharing this journey with the world. Um, so to be doing that now uh, feels yeah. kind of like a completion of sorts. Well, it um, seems like a mission in a way. I mean, the way you said that, that you had the pleasure of handing over this book to someone on their own journey, even an image of handing food to someone in need or clothing you know, it doesn't fix everything. It doesn't mean no. they have all the wardrobe they need or food for life, no. but it, it's it feels a portion. like a map of sorts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that there will be a lot of um, similar destinations <laughs> that a lot of people will go through injections. A lot of people will have blood draws. A lot of people will have failed tests. And so they can see what the map looks like. Um, but it's to help them know that they are not alone, mm, that there mm-hmm. are others who have gone before them and that they have survived yeah. whatever the outcome. Well, and what a gospel message, too, with yeah, Christ and totally. the incarnation. Yep. That seems to be the theme. Completely. And I, I, it's been really, really amazing, um, kind of the way the book has been released and the timing of it, because coming into um, another devotional practices um practicing Lent. And, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't give anything up or add anything to, I just did my Lent devotional that I've done the last couple of years. And coming into that dark place of the tomb and comparing that to the darkness of the Mm -hmm. womb and Mm -hmm. the, you know, the dark night of the soul that people refer to and infertility is a dark night of the soul. Mm. And it's not one that is quick. It's not one that is three days long. Um, but it's just this, um, this real beautiful thing of understanding and realizing that there are some extravagant things that are created in the dark. Yeah. Mm. So, and that's those years of darkness. This um, book feels kind of like that something that was mined out of that dark place. Yeah. Like a seed planted yeah. beneath yeah. the soil. The gold that was brought forth really. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I've made you late for, picking up your boys. So let's finish up with any uh, quick resources you want to recommend for those experiencing infertility and those who know someone, those who surround. And then um, I'd love for you to offer a benediction as well. Yeah. Um, I think there are some great uh, resources through websites. Um, 
I just say, encourage people to join forums. Mm. Uh, If you need to talk to people, almost every place that you look, I'm part of a forum here in Seattle for infertility. I'm part of a forum in Northern Ireland. There are places where you can talk about your struggle in a safe way, Mm. um, in a way where the people there understand and where you don't have to mask yourself. You don't have to Mm. hide your hurt. You don't have to hide your resentment Um, because those are all real feelings that you're going to have along the way. Yeah. Um, so I, I encourage people to join that uh, wherever they are. Um, I would encourage people to find other books that um, help you deal with pain, not necessarily only through infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like infertility is one of those things that um, it can drive you to madness because you're trying to find the perfect recipe. Mm-hmm. So I looked outside of infertility books. Um, yeah. And the way I wrote my book, I don't feel like it is an infertility solve all kind yeah. of book. But I would encourage um, God on Mute by Pete Gregg. And um, I recently read a book called Luminous Dark by Alan Emerson as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the 24-7 prayer community have been encouraging and very helpful in their practical approach to suffering yeah. of all types. Um, and I would encourage people to read my book. I think it's a really honest take if you're in the middle of it, if you are going through it, if you're scared, if you want to know what a procedure feels like. I'm I'm pretty open mm. with what that feels like. Um, but yeah, and music was huge for me. Mm. Um, I would say find any music that heals um, and live your life. Don't push pause on every other avenue of life. Yeah as hard as it may feel like. Um, If it means spending money that you've been saving for your next round of treatment to go on a holiday because you and your spouse or partner need time together, you need to find each other again, then maybe it's time to do that. You know, it's, it's, again, it's a personal um, choice how you do it, but yeah. And I always, I recently wrote a blog that talked about turning in instead of turning away. So mm-hmm. turn into your spouse, turn into um, whatever safe places you have, turn into your family relationships, turn in with honesty, turn in with your junk, turn in with all of it. Because yeah. uh, you're only responsible for you. Mm-hmm. So, and um, yeah, I just have a little prayer to read in closing. Um, to the God of all hope. I ask for hope to be restored to every listener. To those desiring a family, bring comfort. To those desiring breakthrough, bring joy. To those crushed in spirit, bring healing. We trust in your goodness, God, and your faithfulness to make everything beautiful in its time. Amen. Next up, I'm talking to Danae Ashley. She is an Episcopal priest and a marriage and family therapist. Danae, thank you so much for coming on Pilgrim Podcast. Thank you, Lacey. I am delighted to be here, finally. Before we start, tell us a bit about your spiritual journey. How would you want to introduce yourself when it comes to your faith and uh, who you are? I found the Episcopal Church, and I just felt my soul went ah when I came there and I fell in love with the the poetry of the prayer book and just ah just the the dignity and the 
the mystery that it that it held in its services, just, you know, letting God be God within this, mm. this framework where there could be movement for the Holy Spirit. And mm. so I became Episcopalian. And then uh, I ended up having lunch with a with the priest of the parish that I was at at that time. And he looked at me and he said, have you ever thought about being an ordained ministry? And I had like this mystical experience Mm. where the the world like had been tilted and it righted itself inside me. And I had this deep joy, like well up in my, my belly and tears sprang to my eyes. And I was like, ah, yes. And then I was terrified. I was like, what, what do you (laughs) want to do with the church? Uh Like a great human, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, oh no, no God, not me. So I uh, ended up getting ordained in 2008. And so now it's been a decade of wow. doing that. Yeah. And uh, simultaneously, um, well, I mean, I guess not simultaneously, but but it has always been a part of me. Uh, even back in undergrad, I had tried to double major for a little while in psychology and religion and um, ended up not doing that for a variety of reasons at that time, but then had always felt drawn to becoming, um, some kind of psychotherapist. Mm. And so, um, I ended up, uh, gosh, it's been a few years now. Um, ended up realizing that I needed to pursue that vocational call as well. And so I became a marriage and family therapist and I uh, moved here to see the Seattle area in 2014 and um, was licensed as a marriage and family therapy associate in 2015 and started my business, Soul Spa Seattle, LLC. So that's part of my ministry as well. I think that's a really important part of my spiritual journey um, discovering that and being able to help people and, and, uh, journey with them in, in the Mm. ways that, that sometimes you can go as a priest, but other, I needed more training. I needed more psychological training, um, to really be effective and helpful. And that, that was something that was really important to me as a priest. So when you get me, you get all of it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's so interesting to me. I mean, We've talked personally about this, but um, I'm eager to have you share, too, your perspective on your fertility journey as both a priest and a therapist, because those mm-hmm. those are people who might be struggling, might go see mm-hmm. their priest, their minister, their pastor, or, or a therapist. And yet here you were uh, playing both roles and yet facing this journey mm-hmm. yourself. So why don't you tell, tell me a bit about that fertility journey as well. And I, I, as mm-hmm. what I know how long it's been for you, it uh, was happening alongside the development of these two vocations as well. Yes. So I, yes, I would hope that people would try to talk to their pastor or their priest or their rabbi or, or imam or any kind of spiritual advisor when they're struggling with fertility and also to see a therapist because there is this vast amount of uncertainness in the struggle and, and grief that is what, um, what I would term ambiguous loss. Mm. So it's this loss that just keeps going and you never know if there's going to be an ending or not. Yeah. Um, and you just have to hold it all the time. 
So uh, for me, it's interesting because when you are when you are the expert, when you are the leader uh, in a church or um, the expert in a field like, you know, being a, a marriage and family therapist trained to help people, uh, you have to find other ways to get help for yourself. And so for me, uh, my husband and I met in our mid thirties and, um, we ended up moving around a a lot for my different church calls, uh, before we decided to settle down, um, in the Seattle area. But we started trying to have a child. Uh, let me think it was about, yeah, two years, um, after we got married. And so I, that made me 35 and uh, that's not like the ideal time to start, but Hey, that's when we Mm -hmm. met, you know, you can't help who you love, uh, and when you love them. So, uh, I ended up starting to try then and we got pregnant very easily. And our first pregnancy, uh, we were like, okay, yay, we got pregnant. We were super excited. And, uh, went in for, uh, the, they wanted to do a scan at eight weeks. Cause I was even then considered advanced maternal age. Uh, <laughs> and the baby had stopped growing at, um, at, at like six weeks, three days or something. I, and I, and I had had a little bit of bleeding, but I didn't really know. And that was one of the reasons they decided to do a scan. They normally would have waited longer. Um, but I, so that was my first loss was in, uh, 2012. And that was, yeah, it was in early June. uh, I remember. So we were thinking, okay, um, that is really awful, but it happens. It's nature, you know, that's fine. And I really felt surrounded by other, I I was part of the Young Clergy Women Project, which is now called Young Clergy Women International. And it is young clergy women of the Christian denomination from all over the world. And we have, um, we have a Facebook group, we have all sorts of different things. And now that I, now I'm 41. So I, I'm an alumna mm. and we have our own group too. Cause we were like, Oh, what would we do without each other? But, mm. uh, in that group, I had posted that I was miscarrying and got a ton of support from those women and, uh, ended up in response to that. Eventually a few months later, uh, ended up forming a subgroup and and that was about our um the young clergy women fertility struggle group mm. and that that was a huge support for me as a priest being able to talk about what it felt like to have a very intimate personal struggle while I was leading a congregation, which I had to be strong and lead. Right. And, Mm. and the congregation, I told them about my first miscarriage Mm. and they were lovely. I, I, I sent a pastoral letter and I said, this is what happened. Uh, here are some resources from the Episcopal church because the Episcopal church actually has a whole, um, 
liturgical resource called uh, Enriching Our Worship 5, Rachel's Tears, Hannah's Hopes. And it has all different prayers and uh, scripture verses, hymns, different things for a service, um, for for pregnancy and infant loss. Mm. Uh, It has a whole bunch of of really great stuff in there. And so I gave them some resources and... um, give the congregation some, some ideas for resources if they, if they had, if they were struggling or if they knew somebody that was. And then I also told them how I wanted them to respond. Like I didn't, at that time, I did not want to talk about it ad ad nauseum. I just, I would appreciate like cards. I didn't need phone calls Mm -hmm. or anything that, Mm -hmm. um, but I was open to talking about it. Could you share what made you decide to be open? talking about it because I know that it's been it, it seems like a movement these past many years people deciding to share that rather than hide it yeah that so it's a personality <laughs> thing for me I have never been one that has been a uh I would not be called a private person <laughs> uh, I uh, you know I don't I don't feel like I'm I overshare but I do feel like as a priest um, when you're connecting with people, I, people want an authentic connection. And I feel like you can be, be a leader, but also be vulnerable and be authentic and say, this is who I am. And this is what's real for me. And this is where our lives can intersect and, and really see God's grace in that. So I've never shied away from sharing, um, difficult things. I mean, I, I've, I've told people the story about how my, my father died when I was 24 in a house fire. Um, he and his roommate didn't escape. You know, I, I, that stuff, I don't mind sharing with people. And so this was something and I, that I thought, you know what, there are, there are so few resources, at least at that time in 2012, I was having a difficult time finding resources, um, especially spiritual resources around this. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I need to tell people that this this happens and, uh, and God is with you in it because I did feel God's presence. I felt God's presence through my young clergy women group. Um, I mm. felt God's presence within my family, my friends, uh, and, and the parish that I was serving at that time. So, mm. uh, it, that's, you know, it's my personality to kind of become an advocate. I get very, Mm. if I'm interested in something, I'm going to go all the way. So I was like, okay, here. And and I want to share. I always have been sharing, like, I want to share resources with people. I don't think you should hoard resources in any, in any sort of way, um, work related or not. So I had no problem sharing stuff with people. And, uh, and then, uh, one of my fellow clergywomen in that particular diocese that I was in at that time, um, we got talking about what was going on and, and she had had, um, experiences with her friends and had had some fertility struggle herself. And so, so the two of us ended up doing, a uh, pregnancy and infant loss service together. Mm. And that was really powerful. Um, that experience for me was really powerful. And so I have since done those, those types yeah. of services, other clergy women in other denominations, we will do it together. Um, 
in the different places that I've lived and I encourage other people to do it. And I share all of my resources so, mm-hmm. um, because they're mainly from the enriching our worship five, the Rachel's tears, Hannah's hopes that I mentioned earlier, but yeah, so that, um, that was kind of the beginning of it. And little did I know that I would be one of the small percentage of people who had ended up having recurrent loss. Yeah. I had uh, another miscarriage. Um, let me think. Yeah. And we started trying again and I got pregnant in 2015. Yeah. And then I had a miscarriage that year. And I had a miscarriage in 2016 and I had two last year. Yeah. So, um, two in a row, it was really, Mm. really awful. I was searching for the answers. I was like, okay, you know, God has given me a brain. I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to try to find out Mm. what's going on because the the OBGYN is saying I'm fine. The maternal fetal medicine person was saying I was fine. Um, the fertility doctor that I saw, the the RE said that I was fine. Um, in fact, he told me that we should just keep trying because eventually I would have a healthy baby. And Mm. what we discovered was that, um, I had, so out of all those six, I had, I had pills for the first one. I had a DNC for the second one, um, a DNC for the third one. And then the final three were natural. Um, so all of them, we did a lot of, we, I did testing on a number of the embryos as well. Cause I was able to save, yeah. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. save the, the stuff with the DNC and then, um, a couple of my natural ones. And, um, the results were that I had, they were all cr- different chromosomal abnormalities that yeah. were not genetically related. They mm-hmm. were just random. Mm-hmm. So either old egg or abnormal sperm, something, but whatever was coming together, it was going wrong. And, um, I ended up, I mean, I, I went to all, all the doctors, all the things mm-hmm. I did acupuncture. I, I just had a fantastic acupuncturist who, she was Chinese medicine woman and, um, you know, got massage regularly, did the Chinese herbs, um, to keep everything balanced, you know, do everything. Mm-hmm. And I just kept having these losses and I kept getting older. And, and so uh, as I was discovering how to support myself, uh, it ended up being that God, I feel that God really moved me to become an advocate in, in a certain way. Um, and I ended up forming with a couple of parishioners at my church in Seattle, uh, a fertility support group, which has now been taken over by Resolve, which Resolve is the national infertility um, organization that really help help people that have fertility struggle. Um, but we started out as just like a little ministry, and uh, and we had this great group here, and I met more people through that um, that were doing amazing things, and um, and then eventually. Um, I was asked, I I was invited to 
contribute to a book um, that was written by pastors mm. about fertility struggle, um, actually specifically about perinatal bereavement. Yeah. And the editors wanted me to write my story because I had had a lot of early loss. Yeah. And the other stories are about a little bit later loss, like second trimester loss, third trimester loss, and then infant loss, child mm-hmm. loss. So, um, so I started that project and, um, that ended up, um, capturing my first two losses. And, uh, and so I'm chapter two of that book. It's called still a mother journeys mm-hmm. through Par- perinatal bereavement and um, Joy Freeman and Tabitha Johnson were the editors. They were both chaplains um, from different places. Uh, and each chapter, you know, describes someone someone else's stories. But uh, story, the reason I, I really wanted to be part of this project was that they, they had looked around just like I did. And I could only find really one theologically sound book about prenatal prenatal loss mm-hmm. um say too I, what what wasn't theologically sound from your perspective yeah absolutely so um what i was finding for me was not helpful for mm-hmm. other people it might be but it was not for me yeah. personally not for a lot of people but what i would say was um not theologically sound are are the types of books where at least from my Episcopal perspective, um, that would say things like, you know, it's almost the platitudes that you hear from other people. Like, mm. this is God's will. Mm-hmm. You know, God wanted another angel. You know, this was not your time to have a baby. Um, Something that's easy to put on a card. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, so some, you know, a lot of those books had that type of, of theology that was very saccharine and not mm-hmm. really substantial. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so my same friend um, in the Twin Cities area that I did the, the services with, uh, she had introduced me to Hope Deferred, which is a fantastic book. It's actually terrific. It's four or five chapters um and people just theologically reflected on on miscarriage and pregnancy loss and and uh did it in a way that was theologically meaty and Mm. made sense uh where there was like real struggle there instead of just saying oh, I'm so sad. And yeah, I guess, you know, I didn't have enough faith or God didn't want me to have this baby. So, so I really appreciated that, that other approach. So when I was looking around, Hope Deferred was one of, one of the the books that I found. And there were some secular books out there that were more about, you know, personal, personal stories of loss, which of course is very helpful, but I wanted something that was more spiritual, like, how are people struggling this with struggling with this, you know, in a faith because construct? Because it's a spiritual. Yeah, you know, if you're a spiritual person, it's a spiritual issue, right? And you know, in the Bible, there's so much struggle around children and mm-hmm. what's going on. You know, I mean, look at how we how we celebrate Jesus being born. You know, <laughs> he was mm-hmm. born 
kind of out of wedlock. Uh, so there's <laughs> all sorts of child stuff going on there. But, you know, uh, Rachel's tears, Hannah's hopes. I mean, Rachel wanted wanted to have her children be with her and Hannah wanted a child desperately. And, uh, you know, all of this, there's all of these different things um, that go on in the Bible about babies and blessings and barrenness and mm. you know all of those types of stories are in the bible and so how do we how do we struggle with that how do we look at that you know yeah. um abraham and sarah you know an angel tells abraham that sarah's gonna have a baby what should they both laugh like ha, well, you've ha, got ha. plenty of time today for basing right, it on right. that story. right exactly <laughs> like yeah exactly so you know like there's just so much I think about that. Mm -hmm. And so it was really this project for still a mother was really important because I wanted to be part of this, this group of pastors who had all gone through these painful places and found their faith as a, as a uh, strength for them Mm. and found God in their story. And so that's, that's why I wanted to do it. And the book each chapter at the end of each chapter, they put pastoral care points. So they glean different, excuse me, from each of our stories. And, um, I found that that was really, really helpful because we wanted to put this, this book into the hands of faithful people who may not know what to say or do Mm. when, when someone goes through this type of, uh, not just someone experiencing that, but the right. parents, the friends, the community members. Right, exactly. So, you know, the pastoral care points were really, I thought were really a great idea. Um, we also have some appendices that have some do's and don'ts of like what to say and what not mm-hmm. to say. We have some prayers. You know, each one of us um, has our own story and struggle with um scriptures. So there's scriptures in it, you know, so it was really better thought out, you know, theologically, at least for me. Yeah. It's the wrestling and the desire in one. Yes. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's definitely memoir style. So it's not, um, totally, uh, polished or anything. It's Mm. still pretty raw. The, the, the publisher, and the editors really wanted the stories to to speak. They didn't want to take away each yeah. of our individual voices yeah. because they really wanted it to each chapter to be our voice. So anyway, yeah, yeah. so that's how I got to be doing that. And so God moved and, and mm. I said, okay, I'll do that. Sure. And, um, and so what was happening was that I was taking this, what was going on for me and just saying yes to opportunities where God could meet me where I was and where God could meet other people where they were. And so I was part of this group called, I'm still part of it called thank God for sex. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that was started by Dr. Tina Schirmer Sellers, whom I adore and she's amazing. She's a professor of uh, marriage and family therapy at uh, SPU in the Seattle area. And she and some students started, started Thank God for Sex. And I joined in 2015. And 
we did events to to educate the public about different things around regarding sexuality and our bodies and we do we do these public events and we would usually have like a documentary and then a, a localized panel of experts to talk about stuff and so um with my fertility stuff i said hey we need to do one for fertility because i i think that that's part of our sexuality that's part of mm-hmm. who we are and we're talking about uh healing sexuality through a faith lens. That's that, that was a big piece of what we were doing and bringing things to a public forum around the damage that church, um, and faith communities have done to people because of, of their views on sexuality and on the body. So we ended up, um, they said, okay, sure. Yeah, let's do it. So I, I ended up talking to my spiritual director Spiritual directors are so good to have. <laughs> <in ABC. laughs> Everyone should have one. Mm, like, I will. I think so. <laughs> I do. Um, my spiritual director, she is actually a playwright as well. And so I talked to my spiritual director and I said, hey, uh, I want to do this. We, we want to do this. Thank God for sex thing. But I cannot find a good documentary or anything except for like on YouTube where people are just telling their story and sobbing Mm -hmm. that gives people a framework to engage with so that then we can have the expert panel localized panel discussion afterward. I said, so I want to do a verbatim play. And she said, all right, let's do it. (laughs) So we ended up make a, to make a long story short, I ended up producing a play that, that we gathered the data for, um, we just put it out on social media and said, Hey, come do an anonymous, um, survey unless you want to leave your name. And, uh, just had people answer a bunch of questions about fertility struggle. And then she was brilliant and she whittled it down and created this play that had, um, she divided it into sections. And then between each section, she would put terrible things that people say to you mm-hmm. and it's, it's incredibly powerful I will send you a link to yes, the article of that. Mm. and uh it was it was great the event that we did we did it at Naked City Brewery in uh April of 2016 and it ended up being full like the house was mm. full and which says so much doesn't it about how many people are impacted but also in the shadows, perhaps. Right, right. And people, you know, yes, exactly. And the response was just so overwhelming. And we were so grateful that we did it. And so I've had all I've, I've gotten to do these amazing mm-hmm. things. Also mm-hmm. just meet amazing people who are in the midst of their own fertility struggle, also having really fascinating and brilliant lives. And yeah. I can see where God is working in them. Well, they, um, you said that you were experiencing God with you mm-hmm. in all of those areas. And that almost the way that you're talking about, and I know our paths have intersected. Mm-hmm. And so that's the gift of connecting with another who's experiencing something similar is that you're able to be with someone else. And so that seems to be another way that, that God shows up yes. instead of those unhealthy um, frameworks we might have from church of days past. 
Right. Yes. Where, where you might be being told that you are being punished mm-hmm. for some reason and that's why you're not having children. Um, my, my husband is a professional musician, but he also, uh, majored in, in, uh, science as well. Um, in college and he always has said, you know, it's scientific, like things are not working. Like you, you know, there's, there's something not wrong. A chromosome or there is something wrong. A chromosomal abnormality means that something is just not developing right. And, and there's something broken about that. And something we can Um, know now because of scientific advancement hundreds and thousands of years ago. Right. Exactly. You attribute it to the unknown because you don't know. Right. And that God, you know, that God had this hand in it and not, and not that I don't feel like the Holy Spirit moves or anything like Mm -hmm. that, but you know, we are finding out so much more Mm -hmm. all the time about these, these, um, types of medical issues. And, um, at the same time, like for us, at least in our situation, I, I am still pretty comfortable leaving it to the mystery of God because eventually what has happened is that we've discerned not to continue forward mm, with mm-hmm. a fertility process at all um, for a variety of reasons. But I I had to do some really deep discernment and prayer and talking with people mm. uh, who have also done, you know, all of the things uh, mm-hmm. that one does. I mean, um and so, and I felt, I feel like God was with me in all of that too. Yeah. I mean, it was heartbreaking. Well, and I think right. for your, your journey, um, I, I've had one loss early on, um, but that like, that's part of your decision moving forward too. So not only would it be if you were going to keep on trying the, the emotional roller coaster of the up and down of each month and maybe the financial investment and the physical pain or strain mm-hmm. and stress, but, uh, from your story, the risk of continual loss, mm-hmm. which is yeah. so difficult to weigh. Right. Yeah. And like in the beginning of our session today, I, you know, I talked about ambiguous loss. It was just that grieving mm. over and over again, mm-hmm. you know, all the different due dates and, and the yeah. grief is unexpected. Mm-hmm. It, it still comes, you know, like, even just this past Christmas, our first due date was like December 30th. Yeah. And we were talking, you know, after Christmas, we were like, huh, we could have had like a five-year-old mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's always that alternative and, path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, so it's just, it's really, really interesting how that, how that kind of goes too, because you're even, even though we've decided not to continue on, on in, in having a biological child, there's still those pieces of grief that continue on because where we weren't, I guess, successful would be the the term, but, um, in having, in having a biological child. And, And one of my friends said something that was really helpful to me. She said, you know, Danae, you don't have to have a biological child in order to see what you and your husband, what kind of life you're building together. You Mm -hmm. are are creating this life together that one can see as soon as they walk in the door of your home. They take one look at your home and your gardens and they say, 
oh my gosh, this is totally the two of you. It's not just Mm -hmm. my stuff and his stuff. It's definitely a life that we're creating together. And that was very powerful to me. That was very helpful um, to start reframing. How can I continue to be faithful? Um, Because I really deeply felt like God was calling me to be a mother, uh, you know, a parent of some kind. And I always said, God will let me know when that is done. Like God will let me know if that changes. Mm. And this fall, it changed. I said, I can't do it anymore. Mm. And God and I had some discussions. (laughs) um, But it just, you know, these little threads started coming together. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm done. Mm. And I need to grieve that too. Yeah. And God was, God was with me in that. Yeah. It seems like you landed with, and of course it comes and goes still, but a sense of loss, but some sort of peace mm-hmm. with it. For me, yes, yes. And, and you know, mind you, other people would make different choices. Yeah. I have friends that have spent lots and lots and lots of money, and that's a choice of, that they needed to make. Um, but for me, what I discerned and what I was really asking of myself and of my relationship with God was, you know, wh- who is God calling me to be? How am I called into wholeness Hmm. as a person? What, you know, what, what is having a child really about for me? Hmm. And, and what I discovered was, you know, I looked back, um, to when I was a little girl and I, I realized I was never one of those children that was like, Oh, I'm going to grow up and get married and have children Hmm. all the time. I was more like, I really love boys and I want to kiss them and I want to like go to Scotland and travel the world and Uh and pretty places. You know, I was, I was that kind of child. I was very, you know, I was clever and I I liked to, I was very curious about life and stuff and I, and I liked, I liked boys. So, um, (laughs) so for me, it was never really about like, Oh, I was never playing with dolls and like wanting to be, you know, wanting to be mom. The, the, the call to motherhood for me was, it came later on in my adulthood. So I was just trying to really get back to the core of who I was. I was like, Mm -hmm. Okay, God. So when I was young, you know, I always feel like, when you're in your younger self, like if you think back, that kind of can help you get to the core of who you are and remind you about things that are really important to you. Yeah. And for me, like, how did God really create me? I I knew that I, you know, was loved by God and that I wanted to know God more when I was little, but I also just knew that I wanted to grow up and have this kind of interesting life. Right. Mm. So, um, so that was, you know, part of the discernment and, and then saying, okay, God, we've tried this six times. I think that that's a fair amount of times to try, mm-hmm. um, scientifically, you know, the, the options, you know, we can escalate them with money, but, but we really, you know, I'm a minister, my husband's a musician. Yeah. Not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, there were some limitations there that kind of stopped us, um, from doing anything more. But also I, I was sitting with some clients who were struggling with fertility because I do see clients that struggle and, uh, I do, in my therapy practice, I, I see people, um, to support them, but also, I also create rituals for people who have Mm -hmm. had loss 
costs. So um, something that I think is really important to mark mark yeah. those losses. Um, it helps with the grief process. But I was sitting with my clients and helping them, trying to figure out what they were going to do next. And I realized I was sitting there thinking, I do not want this the way mm. these people I don't want this bad enough. It is not. Yeah. Mm-mm. And that was a, a really big realization. I was like, huh, yeah, I do not have it in me to go the lengths that other people do, which is fine. Yeah. And I let my, I was like, I need to let myself off the hook. I don't need yeah. to feel guilty, mm-hmm. you know, and how much of it was also, you know, stuff from my family of origin, you know, stuff from our culture saying, oh, well, you know, women should have children, you know, that mm-hmm. those types of things I was also reflecting on and saying, okay, God, you've created me to be this person that I'm trying to become. And how much of this cultural influence do I need to take on around that? Because I don't think that that's who you're calling me to be. So, um, that was part of it as well. I, I really had to think deeply and, and pray about it and ask God what, what was going on there. So in the end, I had this, this vision of this tree of life and it was my tree of life and there was a limb on it that was um it was basically dead like from like from I'm holding it (laughs) you can't see me anyone no one can see me but I'm holding out my left arm (laughs) and I'm pointing to my (laughs) elbow Mm -hmm. (laughs) but from my elbow down the the trunk was um it was dead and and at the upper part of the or not the trunk the uh the branch was dead. And at the other part of the branch, there were these little branches that had come out and they had leaves. And I thought, you know, those are, that's, that's the book. That's the fertility support group. That's the Mm. online group that I formed. Mm -hmm. That's the, you know, that's the, um, naming the unnamed, thank God for sex thing. Those are all the people that I've met. So I felt like God was there and with me in that, that life was there. Yeah, but mm-hmm. but the rest of the branch was not ever going to be fruitful. Mm-hmm. And I was pushing energy into mm-hmm. a dead wood mm-hmm. and it wasn't going anywhere. It was just like being held there. Yeah. So I, in my mind's eye, in my prayer time, I just, I said, thank you. Thank you for these opportunities. Thank you for being with me. And I pruned it mm-hmm. and immediately felt relief. Yeah. And I felt energy rush back into my body. Mm-hmm. And just bubble up like champagne, like mm. seriously, it was like sparkles inside me. I was like, whoa, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> this is real. But it was just this immediate relief. I had been putting so much of my life and my energy and myself into trying to have a baby for five and a half years. Mm. And I was done. And it was just this huge relief. And then I had the, all of this energy and I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. God, what do you want me to do with this? <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. I, I'm still your servant. I don't want, I don't want this to like go to waste, but I also don't want it to go into a vacuum or, you know, anything else. And, and I could see in the, in the tree of life in my mind's eye, like everything was sparkling, like the energy was going to all of the other places. And then God, God replied, well, what do you want to do, Danae? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, mm-hmm. 
as a as a priest and as a therapist, like I'm always asking other people, like, what do you want to do? I don't get to be asked what mm-hmm. I want to do as much. So that was a really powerful ask of God. I was like, oh, really, God? Thanks. You're going to put it back on me. <laughs> <laughs> So that this this answers one of the other questions that I know you ask all of your guests, and that is, uh, if you were going on a pilgrimage, where would you want to go next? Yeah. So the first thing that I thought of when God asked me that mm. was, I want to go to Prince Edward Island. Mm, that yes, Anne of Green Gables. Precisely, uh-huh. precisely, my friend. This is why we get along so well. Um, <laughs> Well, and we should tell everyone I, you've got red hair, too. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. So does my brother. Uh, yes. So my best friend uh, and I, She, my best friend lives in Pullman. She's a fifth grade teacher. And we, from the time we were young, um, we'd always said, we're going to go to Prince Edward Island one day. We're going to do it. And we've talked about it over the years. We're like, oh, yeah, when we have, like, maybe a big birthday year or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I was like okay, God, got it. Like I called her up and I was like, Hey, I'm not having children and we're going to Prince Edward Island next year. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm missing here. Yeah. And so anyway, you know, got her mm. filled in, but yeah, so we are going on pilgrimage yeah. to, to Prince Edward Island mm. in June and it just it feels really right yeah and I'm super stoked yeah well and I <laughs> oh. think the perfect marriage of that like attraction to a place but that threshold crossing in your life at a time mm-hmm. of ritual indeed and I'm sure it will yes. be filled with ritual both intentional and um, surprising yes definitely and I I did want to also mention um that I Another piece of the energy that was coming back to me, um, I had the opportunity, I was encouraged by uh, this local um, nursery that I always go to, nursery, plant nursery, mm-hmm. not a child nursery, but a plant nursery that I that I would go to after I would have each miscarriage. So I had four miscarriages here in the Seattle area, and after each one, I would go to this nursery out in Snohomish and I would buy plants because I needed to have something that bloomed yeah. mm-hmm. and I needed to have something for my spirit that something lived. Something to tend to. Yes. Well, yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Nurture. And so that has become also another, another th- thread in my story of, of my fertility struggle. Um, that has become really important and very spiritual to me because it is tending tending my garden now. And I've, I have never been a gardener. My mom still is laughing. <laughs> I, I was the one like, oh my gosh, I have dirt under, under my fingernails. Oh my gosh, this plant is getting mm-hmm. me high. Like I was always, you know, I don't like the sun. I don't like bugs. I don't <laughs> like that stuff. I have, I have red hair and I'm fair skinned. Like it just doesn't happen for me. But because of these miscarriages, I've had this other kind of pilgrimage, yeah. sort of this path that I ended up taking simultaneously, um, where I've become this gardener. And so the, the workers at this nursery that I always go to last fall, um, I told them, they, they all know my story. They know that like basically all their plants are in my, my miscarriage garden. (laughs) Um, but they, I was telling them, yeah, you know what? I'm moving forward and, and 
this one worker who's so lovely. I just love her. She's awesome. She said, I want to encourage you to look at the master gardening program. Mm -hmm. I really think that you should. Mm -hmm. And I, I was with my uh, friend of mine from the twin cities who was visiting and she was like, yes, you totally should. You're a gardener. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not like a little old British lady in like uh, wellies and a stained coat and like a big hat. And uh-huh. they're like, no, there's many ways to be a gardener. Mm-hmm. So it's been and that's been an interesting pilgrimage, like coming into gardening, finding yourself there, especially with this imagery. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Intertwining. So- yeah, exactly. So I ended up, um, yeah, so I am now a Snohomish County Master Gardener intern. Mm. I've been to classes and... Just in time for the season. Right, exactly. So, I mean, just all I'm saying is that no matter what path people end up choosing, mm. you know, God is with us. God is is there in transforming us and 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 using our creativity in so many other ways. Mm. And for me, realizing that I didn't have to have a child in order to have a creative life was very powerful for yeah. me personally. Mm-hmm. It's not everybody's choice. I mean, so don't, I don't want any of the listeners to think that like I'm saying, yeah, just forget about your dream. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm saying for me, I yeah. went through a process that I, my my dream of being cre- creative with my husband and creative in my own life has changed into something yeah. different. It's been transformed. Mm, so, so beautiful. Um, yeah. So, you know, the seed that was planted, I thought I was planting, you know, tulips or no, no, that would be a bulb. Okay. <laughs> so I thought it was like, whatever, a daisy. Uh-huh. Um, and I ended up with uh, lupins. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but still, like, it's creative. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. There's colors. Mm-hmm. It's just not quite exactly what I thought was going to have. I thought it was going to be looking like. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm doing all sorts of mixed metaphors today. <laughs> I love it, though. I'm in for any sort of garden metaphor. Yeah. Well, I know then you've so. spoken to the next question I often ask, which is what what journey are you on right now in your daily life? So my final question, and you've shared a bit too, so you can um, mm-hmm. put in any more now and we'll be sure to make links as well, is what Yeah. What are some practices or practical tools for those who are on a fertility journey or those who know someone who is struggling? And you can th- throw in um, for the church as well too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, there are... There are lots of different practical tools and I will, I'm sending you some of the ones that I talked about already, but, um, first of all, just know that you're not alone. I think it's really helpful for people to go onto the resolve website, which is just full of fantastic information and resolve Mm -hmm. is, it's a secular, um, organization, but you can find group meetings, you can find good science, you know, like good they, they are always updating their articles about medical help and, and they're just, they're so good. So I think that people should go to the resolve website. I think that's a really great resource to start with for sure, to just get more information, to realize that you are not alone, that, that this, 
the, these struggles and the unique ways that people struggle within it are happening all over the place. Um, so that would be one that aside from the other stuff that I've talked about that I would definitely send people to, um, if you hear about any kind of pregnancy or infant loss service, uh, that a church is holding or a synagogue is having or any kind of thing like that, I, and you've had loss in your life or the struggle has been, uh, uh, a huge burden of grief for you, I would really encourage you to actually go to whatever Mm. service you hear about because, uh, to have the rituals that we do around it, it just, there's something in those that are deeply, it's so deeply human Mm. to ritual, to Mm -hmm. do ritual, first of all. And, um, secondly, it's, to have someone else holding a space for you so that you can go and do that, I think is, um, it's just so important. And then you can just release parts of parts of that for yourself. So go to something like that. Um, there are a lot more books out there now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's tons of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. There's secular stuff and there's some more, um, uh, church related stuff, which, uh, which I've read, I've read a lot of. Um, but I, I still, I still stand by the books that I talked about. Mm-hmm. I love them, but there's other good ones out there. I mean, people need different things for different parts of the struggle. So, mm-hmm. uh, and there's more documentaries out there now too. I mean, there, there's just so much more out there than there was even six years ago when yeah. I started, which is oh. reminds me of, even of your garden of that, mm-hmm. flirt, the shoots from the branch that even yes. though it, it's, a place of sorrow and even at times death um, mm-hmm. to come together right and bring life can nourish yes. yeah yes exactly yeah um and i i would say don't um don't isolate yourself if you and your partner especially are grieving differently mm. which happens frequently mm-hmm go to a counselor, go to Mm -hmm. a marriage and family therapist, go to someone um, that perhaps specializes in grief or specializes in fertility struggle. And And also you may have noticed, I don't talk about this subject, um, as infertility, I talk Mm -hmm. about it as fertility struggle. I prefer to frame it differently. Um, to me, spiritually, what, what I hear people saying when they say infertile is there's this direct relationship with like being barren and, and it's just this, it's icky. It's, Mm. it's kind of say if to me, it's, it's encapsulating this idea that because you can't have children or you're not able to have children right now, that you are creatively not able to do Mm. anything. It's, Mm -hmm. it's so, because I think for, and so fertility struggle to me is a better way to say, to say that. Cause I think yeah. it captures like we're fertile, but we're struggling yeah. for yeah. that particular thing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make, make us all barren because we're being creative in other parts of our life. So yeah. I wanted to make sure that, yeah. that I said that. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely say go to a counselor and if, if people are, are, if you feel like people are getting impatient with you and your grief, definitely go to a counselor. Um, yeah. You need support. 
Uh, and you might get, you might be stuck. You might be a little stuck. Um, that process is so hard um, mm-hmm. because the, the struggle is real and it is difficult and it's ambiguous. It's that ambiguous loss that you just hold yeah, all just time. present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Each day. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, those are, those are yeah. the things. Thank you. Well, could you send us off with a, a benediction? I will. I will. Mother Danae, Reverend Danae. I know. <laughs> so, so this is what I'm gonna I'm gonna do. I'm gonna share one of my favorite benedictions with you all, and it it's not it is related to fertility struggle, but it's mainly related to what God is calling us to especially mm. when we're in struggle. Mm-hmm. It's a Franciscan blessing. So it's a, it's a blessing and a challenge. <laughs> we'll take it. And, <laughs> yeah. And this is, this is the blessing. I did not write it. It was, it's from the Franciscan order. Um, but I did this, uh, this was my, the very first blessing that I gave at my ordination to the priesthood mm. and I blessed the bishop with this blessing. So now you are, you are all going to be blessed mm. <laughs> and challenged. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. And may the peace of God and the God of peace be with you forevermore. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. Find episode notes and sign up to receive updates at asacredjourney.net slash podcast. And if you'd like to connect with any of us on this topic, you can find our information in the episode notes as well. To follow Pilgrim Podcast, subscribe through Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be grateful if you'd leave a review. It helps others to find us. To find out how to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, visit asacredjourney.net slash podcast. You'll hear from me next month with another conversation on spirituality and intention and travels and daily life, and what it means to live like a pilgrim at home and abroad. Until then, blessings on the journey.